0: Welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Tony Guerra, pharmacist, publisher, and professional editor, bringing you interviews and advice on succeeding in your residency journey. You can sign up for the email list at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com to get your free LOI template or get editing help working one-on-one with me at residency.teachable.com. Let's get started with the show. Super excited about today's show because we have two pharmacy professionals that will be interviewing each other about getting in as a non-traditional residency applicant. So before we get started with the show, what I actually want to do is go over the numbers and show you how your chances have dramatically increased from what we see in 2018 to now 2022. All right. The place to find these data is at ASHP match stats. That's what I put into Google to get here. And we're going to go into applicants combined phase one and two, and we're going to first look at 2018 and then 2022. So let's look at 2018 and we'll make this quite a bit bigger. So if you're looking on something mobile, you know, you'll see uh, the numbers here and what we want to look at are the match results by year of graduation. So back in 2018, pre-2018 graduates matched 139 out of 398 applicants. Uh, The quick math on that is 34.9%. So about a one in three chance of matching if you got an interview. However, when we look at 2022, we see really good news. uh, For those of you that are thinking, maybe I'd like to do a residency. 184 out of 319 which gives us a 57.6% match rate. So that's really close to what was around 60 something percent last year for traditional students. And we expect this number to continue to go up. So I'm not going to take all of their steam away from them, but uh, just know that there are significant uh, chances for you to get uh, a residency now if you were out in practice. And uh, really, there are a lot of advantages as we have a NAPLEX rate that is declining. Uh, it's nice to know, especially in California, where the CPJE is, uh, the, the rates are pretty low. Uh, and then the MPJE also really often a barrier uh, to getting that license. Uh, so nice as an RPD to have that comfort knowing that this student already has a license. And that's just not going to be an issue. And then you're going to hear quite a bit from them about confidence and having that confidence already, working with providers, already being out there. And you know, I I know I get why residency would be something you do right after school, especially when it comes to finances, which they do talk about. Uh, but um, I think that it's almost more like an MBA where the traditional MBA you were expected to go out into practice for one to four years, and then come back to the MBA program and share what it was that you did as an entry-level business person. In the same way, I think that it's really valuable to have those residents that have been out in practice for a couple of years uh, that have that comfort looking really, really understand what they want and why they want to do it. Now let's just look at the numbers. Because when you think about the number of 2022 graduates, you know, the total number of graduates, uh, you had about 15,000. And when you talk about how many applied or registered for the match in the first place, uh, you're talking about 6,486, so maybe 40%, something like that. Now you're talking about every single graduate that was before 2022 in this pile, and only Very, very few of that number, it's actually the 5427 number, uh, 184 um, uh, ended up matching, which is out of that, you know, kind of 319. So you can see these numbers are dramatically different and take so much courage uh, to come back and and to do this, uh, to do the extra work that it takes. Uh, But as you'll see, uh, these guys really, really have a commitment to the profession. Uh, and the direction that they want to go in the future is absolutely clear. So um, without further ado, Mary No and Amy Lee will be coming on to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Mary. And my name is Amy Lee. And we will be taking over today's episode on the Pharmacy Podcast Network on behalf of Dr. Tony Gura. For this session, we will be talking more expansively about the non-traditional pathway
2: to residency. And what we mean by non-traditional pathway to residency, this would be somebody that has been out of school for several months, even years, And they've been working as a pharmacist, and now they're trying to go back to a residency to pursue a clinical career or to further their um, career in pharmacy. And so to start off our conversation, I guess we can start introducing ourselves. We'll start with Mary. Yeah, sure. I can go ahead. Um, So um,
1: I am currently a PGY1 pharmacy resident over at the VA San Diego at San Diego, California. And I went to Chapman University School of Pharmacy for pharmacy school in Southern California as well. Um, I did their two plus three fast track program. So two years undergrad, three years in my PharmD curriculum. And from there, I have also done at least a good two to three years of work after graduating in 2019 as a pharmacist, um, Gone involved during the past few years, and with um, all the support that I've had, went into the residency cycle, and I chose to really go back to residency for my passion and providing patient care in the AM care setting, as well as uh, psychiatry as well, and then also teaching. Um, if Amy, if you want to kind of give a quick introduction of yourself, now that I kind of shared a little bit about me.
2: <laughs> sure, absolutely. Again, um, my name is Amy Lee. I am a current PGY one resident at Ascension Genesis Hospital in Grand Blanc, Michigan. I graduated in 2015 from the University at Buffalo Pharmacy School, and I've been practicing since 2015. I've done a little bit at a state psych hospital for a couple of years um, in the ambulatory. Care setting, outpatient setting, a little bit of hospice for several years in Washington. I've done a little bit of informatics, a little bit of ED, a little bit of inpatient pharmacy, and now I'm I'm back to a residency program. And the reason being that I am very passionate about emergency medicine. That is something that I want to pursue. I was looking into a PGY2 in emergency medicine, and that's really kind of where I want to be. I want to be an emergency medicine specialist and thought that. Um, you know, it'd be a good way to kind of further my career and kind of look at that option being a PGY1 resident.
1: The experience and, you know, your drive for wanting to go back into residency is definitely admirable, Amy, especially. um, I know like there's like a lot of challenges, especially in like um, having to like go into the acute care setting, um, working after quite some time before going back. Um, and so honestly, like
2: major props. And to you as well, Mary, I've seen, I mean, we met on LinkedIn, but I've seen your profile. You've been involved in a lot of different organizations. It seems like, um, you do a lot in the ambulatory care setting. You've got your, Mm -hmm. um, certification and MTM. And so I know you've been really involved and that's kind of how, you know, we've met and to kind of come to where we are doing this podcast. And I'm actually very excited to be
1: able to talk with you about this, too, because um, a lot of times um, with those who finish uh, pharmacy school, like they're in their final year trying to apply for residency. And I was actually one of those students that did try to apply back then as a final year and didn't really match. So given like my personal circumstances, uh I ended up having to work for some time, help to support family um, and be able to also like provide like a lot of community like service to those in like Orange County from where I'm from, um, a lot of preventative health care services um, during like my gap year. So very happy to talk a lot more about like the process um, as well as. Um, certain things to kind of look out for especially um, going into the cycle and so we can kind of talk a little bit more about like our transition when it comes
2: yeah uh, like so uh, you probably have gotten this question a lot too but everyone kind of asks you hey how does it feel like how are you doing being a pharmacist learning the earning the salary that you do and now going back into a residency how how is that transition how are you settling so have you noticed anything you know how, how how has your transition being pharmacist now going into a residency again yeah
1: um honestly like one of the things that again with finances um it's something that i had to kind of build over time and when it came to the idea of residency it didn't really come up in my mind until like I probably like I guess my like my start of like my second or even third year out of school and that's when I decided hey I'm gonna I'm gonna go back um I knew that I wanted to go into psychiatry um I knew that if I did go into residency that there would be a financial pay cut that is involved um and then my fear when it came into applying for the residency cycle was I guess the fear of like a third eye that is kind of watching me from some of these like programs as like as to kind of like having like a like a higher like expectation out of me. But really, when it comes to residency training, like, I I guess, like, in terms of my transition from going from pharmacist to pharmacy resident, I've come to realize that with residency training, all of your preceptors. As well as your co residents are really all in this together when it comes to um, furthering professional growth. And I think one of the things that I've been told at least five times already so far in my residency is that, you know, when it comes to like going back into residency, there's always something to learn, there's always areas for improvement. One common thing that I've been told by my preceptors is that you're in residency for a reason you're in there to learn, to become a better practitioner, better than before. And, you know, when I was a pharmacist, I mean, the thing is, there are still things out there that I feel as though I I still didn't know, like I wanted to be able to expand on all of that. Um, and so when it came to the transition from pharmacist to pharmacy resident, it did feel kind of interesting to kind of so slowly kind of retract, I guess, in a way, where you kind of are coming back to being a learner, but the process over time, as you kind of get back into that learner mindset, it's something that I had found very enjoyable over time. It's like kind of being able to not just relearn, like learn a new system. You're also learning about um, other ways that pharmacists are involved in providing patient care in ways that sometimes you you never really knew like before, like when you're in pharmacy school.
2: And I totally agree. Um, we use the term learner a lot at my residency too. And I, I don't know why, but I love being called a learner. Um, you know, being a pharmacist and somebody who's been out of school for so long, you don't kind of, I mean, you are a learner. You're continuously learning with your education, you know, RCEs and whatnot, but you're never really in that role to be an active learner where you're learning new things like you mentioned. And so for me, that part has been a blessing and also I've had some issues with it too. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback that because I've been out of pharmacy school for a long time and I've been practicing independently, communicating with providers um, very casually and I guess also with a little bit more confidence than you know a, a new grad might be, they were kind of surprised at how easily I communicate and that's being said nicely um, with other providers and how, you know, the, the interactions were a little bit different than what they expected. Um, so I feel like that part's been really easy where you're able to communicate with providers, nursing staff, whether it's medical residents, other people, that's something that you, you and I have been working on a lot, being a pharmacist and being out of school for a long time and practicing. But then, you know, other parts are different I haven't been able to, I didn't really need to do a journal club or a bunch of presentations or research project and managing, you know, longitudinal rotations along with your monthly rotations and other commitments that you've got. So, you know, time management definitely is. Uh, a tough part. You know, I thought I was really great at it, but, you know, when it comes to residency, it's something that I still need to work on. So I feel like, you know, the transition's been nice. Um, You know, there's been some easy stuff, some of the things that I also need to work on, but, you know, I don't regret going into a residency program. So speaking of, what kind of things did you look at when you were choosing your residency program? I know you have your interest in ambulatory care and psychiatry, so I'm sure that played a role, but what other things did you look at?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, I actually wanted to kind of stay close to home, too. Um, I mean, a lot of people will kind of like think otherwise, which is good, because it does kind of expand like your location. Um, I like to call like these factors that that like a candidate looks for as like a net, like, like all of these threads that make up this net that you're trying to cast out there for all of these residency programs. Those threads would be something like, for me, it was like ambulatory care, um, being able to provide um, like services um, that relate to transitions of care, also um, being involved in teaching and preceptorship, and also mental health as well. And being able to own in on that, I'd be able to kind of narrow down as to um, what I would be able to kind of catch or like be able to kind of look at when it comes to um, like scanning through like programs that I was interested in, really. Another thing um, being also getting involved in interprofessional care is something that I've actually wanted to get more involved in. Um, I did have some of that when I was working in my outpatient pharmacy at like the psychiatric hospital in Orange County, um, though I felt as though it wasn't it wasn't enough. Like I wanted more, where I was actually making um, more clinical interventions over time, and so that was important for me. And then I guess last but not least, work life balance. It's something that you know we think about like the focus areas that we want to like specialize in, whether we want to go into like acute care, ambulatory care, psychiatry, um, emergency medicine, stuff like that. Um, But the thing that is very important, especially to keep yourself sane for residency is the work life balance. That is something that I truly needed to look at that I feel like a lot of applicants don't really consider much. It's more like they want to just get into the pro they want to be able to get into a program. But if you match, you're there and you have to stay there. And you have to make sure that you know, your time time management is like perfect or not perfect, but at least well managed, and be able to take care of yourself and also know your priorities too. And, and you know, if you don't take care of yourself and do any of that burnout happens in residency, and that is common.
2: I absolutely agree with you there. That is definitely something I've actually lacked to prioritize. I was one of those people who really wanted a residency. So I said, you know, I'm going to get into a program, whatever comes at me, I can handle it. I'm just going to do it. But it really worked out for me because I hear these stories of other people crying on rotation, being really stressed out, being burnt out earlier in the residency year. And I feel like I'm not So I'm very happy with that. And yes, work-life balance, mental health, very, very important. Um, Some of the things that I looked at was a little bit more practical. Being somebody who's been out of school and have been practicing and kind of have my lifestyle, I did look at salary. That was kind of important to me. So I did the calculator where I could figure out how much my take-home pay would be after taxes, all that stuff, and then kind of compared it with the cost of living to see if it was reasonable or if I'm going to be spending like 50% of my paycheck on on rent. And then I'm going to be really miserable because I have to pay for my car and you know the insurance and all these other stuff that you don't really think of. So that was really important to me. Um, as somebody who's been practicing and, you know, was earning a different kind of income than a student might be. Uh, the other thing was location. Um, I Again, it takes a lot of money to move, maybe not for a student, but if you have a family or if you've been out and you've, you know, been living in by, by yourself in an apartment and you have all these furniture and items that you've gathered out through, you know, three, four years, moving that takes time, takes a lot of money. Um, so that That's something that I had to consider that I didn't want to move too far. And I kind of put a range of like, oh, moving within six hours of where I was at. So I kind of um, did like a plus minus point system for that. Um, Another thing was licensing. I moved around a lot, as I kind of mentioned, for these different jobs. So I have a lot of licenses in different states. So I tried to stick to some of those states that I already have licenses in. Again, like because of the cost, it takes a lot of money to get licensed, to take the exam, and, and a lot of time as well. So that's something that I wanted to reduce, and that's something that I think, you know, as somebody who's been out of school and have been practicing for a while, that might come in your favor since you're already licensed. You don't need to worry about um, that stress of being licensed in, a, in the state if you that's where you apply. And so some of those things are kind of what I considered Um, among the normal other things like what kind of rotations are available how many electives do you get to choose what are the preceptors like and you know just the general stuff like that
1: yeah and I agree I, I, I highly agree Amy like the thing is like you know when it comes to being like licensed like you're working as a pharmacist you're already like checking off one box when it comes to like your time as a resident, you have to be licensed by like a certain amount of days and you have nothing to stress about, which is great. (laughs) And like, I honestly had to kind of help with some of my co-residents actually, I I can't I have like a good like handful of residents in my residency class who were pretty stressed out about like both their transition and into residency from being a student and also having to stress over their board exams. I, I couldn't imagine like what they were going through. I was trying to help them out whatever in whatever way that I could and providing them like any materials that I had that could help them, especially for law because, ugh, California law.
2: <laughs> right? So. Absolutely. I heard they're going to an MPJE now. Is that true? I have no idea. Yeah.
1: I know, I know CSHP is trying to do something about that. But I don't know, it's it's up in the air right now. <laughs> Wait, so Amy, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, like, what factors would you say would be strongly considerable for non traditional residency applicants during
2: the season right now? So I think, you know, if you're trying to apply for residencies this year, you don't really have a lot of options to improve on, you know, the leadership thing, you only have maybe a month or two um, at best window. So it's, it's a little bit tough to get a lot of these activities in, whether it's leadership or trying to do some research or getting involved in, you know, pharmacy organizations. So it really comes down to selling yourself, making sure they know where you're coming from. I think a lot of the questions that programs want to know are why are you pursuing residency at this time in your career? What are you trying to get out of it? Where are you trying to go? So I feel like the letter of intent is really important. Um, so I had to you know, really make sure people knew why, where I was coming from, why I wanted to pursue residency, what I've been doing to you know, try to get to my career path, the the goal that I wanted to go to, and you know, how residency would help even at this time in my career, how that's going to help me further my career pathway. So I feel like letter of intent is something that I feel like we could focus on, you know, as a non-residency, non-traditional residency candidate, especially during this time. Um, Mm -hmm. What about you? What do you think would be important to kind of consider during this time? This is a good
1: question that like it really applies for both like non traditional and finally your students, too, where when it comes to like these interests that you have, like kind of going back to that analogy that I had about like your net, the threads that make up your net, you want to make sure you really know your interests or at least really have like a good reason as to why you want to go back. That's something that I think is most important. You want to make it loud and clear. Um, why you want to go back. They can see that through your applications. They can see that through your letters of intent. That's something that you really need to make sure that you make clear, especially because they will have to go through so many different applications during the process. And you want to make sure that you're able to get things out there clear and concise um, as much as possible as well. I would say when it came to some of my Application materials. I definitely had to look into different groups of people to figure out who was going to write my recommendation. And so I had to approach some of these residency program directors to see what they wanted to look for in a letter of intent for somebody who had been out of school for at least a couple years or so. And this is what they had told me. They had told me that they had wanted to look into those recommendations that talk about your leadership skills and also your practical skills. So leader skill, leadership skills being like your active roles in certain organizations or maybe even work, for example. Um, rather than just a title on the paper, they want to really know like the stories behind the roles that you have played. Practical skills, how your work ethic is like, how team oriented you are. And then also clinical skills, to research skills, scholastics. Those could all be like one or two different letters. Research wasn't too big on the radar for some of the other applicants who were just similar to me. Um, they didn't do research, but they did match. I did do some research that it wasn't really it wasn't really like um like statistical research or anything, but it was more like the type of research that I was talking about like providing services to a community and kind of writing like, um like kind of a review of that. But clinical skills, scholastic skills, um, certification programs, keeping up with clinical updates, providing clinical recommendations to providers. If you have like a, like a former preceptor that you had worked with in the past very closely or have kept in touch with, or even professors, maybe they could even write your letters of recommendation for you too. And so I would definitely kind of nail it down to those factors um, to consider for a letter of recommendation and kind of weave that into uh, letters of intent again really just trying to make your interests loud and clear why you really want to go back to residency um, despite being out of school for a couple years or so
2: i think you brought up a good point there where you mentioned you would talk to program directors about you know what you want to see And I've done similar things for letters of recommendations because, you know, some programs are really specific. We want to see a faculty member or we want to see two clinical preceptors. And if you've been out of school for, you know, four or five years, let's say, how well can they talk about your current skills when you're rotation was five years ago. You're a completely different person now. I hope Um, you've improved, you know, you're better at things, you're better at communication skills, clinical skills, you know, motivation wise, obviously you're there if you want to pursue a residency at this point. So I've personally also asked to, for those type of programs that we're looking for specific preceptors and, you know, professors, like, is it okay if I Give you somebody else instead. Would it be more appropriate, or do you absolutely need a professor? And nine out of ten times, maybe ten out of ten times, they want somebody who is more recent and can speak to your your skills, your um, communication skills, your current knowledge, and you know your your current state versus something that you might have had five years ago. So it's not really a big deal if you're. Trying to pursue residency now, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, I haven't really talked to my professor in three years. How am I going to get this letter of recommendation?" You might be able to ask, you know, your colleague. I've used a couple of colleagues this year. Um, I've used a couple of um, managers and supervisors. Um, so this year, I've actually used everyone kind of from my workspace, and no one from previous. You know, rotations or from school or anything like that. So there's options out there. You know, don't be discouraged that you've been out of school for such a long time and you have lost contact with all these, you know, school people.
1: Yeah, I highly agree. Like a lot of these professors, at least a good two or three of them will definitely remember you, you cause, because because you worked with them before. I would also say when it comes to. At least when I applied, I also asked some of my organization like board board members because I was a board member for um, some of the local organizations here, and I was able to reach out to some of them to be able to talk about like my leadership skills from there. And it's kind of a similar process to that of like asking like like some professors. It's like they kind of want to see like your cv or see like a letter of intent so that way they can kind of base like their responses off of like what you would want to like deliver to these residency program directors and with these w- w- and the thing is i gotta put this out there because whenever anyone says letter of recommendation it's really a form that they fill out but it's also a lot of um subjective information that is encouraged for all recommenders to fill in. So that's that. All right, so hopefully for those who are listening to this session, hopefully you get a taste as to what the non-traditional pathway looks like. You can reach out to me, Mary No, on LinkedIn, or you can also reach out to me by my VA email, number 2 at
2: va.gov. So you can find me on LinkedIn as well, um, Amy Lee, or my personal email address is Amy Lee, the First at gmail.com all spelled out. So you could email me and I will get back to you for, if you have any questions. All right. It's been a
1: pleasure to talk with you, Amy. And I'm happy to see what residency has in store for both of us.
2: Me too. It was really great meeting you. I mean, we haven't been able to talk in person. So it was really great to hear your story. And thanks for, you know, meeting with me to share these to the podcast listeners today
1: all right on behalf of us in the pharmacy podcast network we hope you enjoy our session and i hope you can listen to the next one
2: bye
0: thanks for listening to the pharmacy residency podcast I'm a member of the pharmacy podcast network you might also like to check out our available residency audiobooks at pharmacy residency forward slash books or you can get your first book free if you've never been on audible before or work one-on-one with me as a professional editor at residency.teachable.com feel free to send an invite to connect with me tony farm d on linkedin or email me at tony the gmail.com with questions music was by policy